Yeah, like she said, my name is Austin Claver. I get the joy of helping lead Veritas Youth here. And on the front end, I just got to say well done to everyone who made it today, especially college students. This is spring break time, but no spring break this year. So I give you my full sympathy, but what better place to be than the house of the Lord, right? You could be on a beach in Florida, but you're here in Tiffin, Iowa, worshiping Jesus. So that's good news for you, all right? And then for everyone else, daylight savings today. It's always confusing. The 8 a.m. service, I'm like, you guys got here what would be 7 a.m. and you're engaged. And so well done to you guys for figuring out when to come to service. But for me, I always love daylight savings. Here's why. It promises us spring is here, right? We had to wake up when it was dark this morning. But tonight at 7 p.m., it's going to be light out, and we're going to be so joyful because Iowans in the spring just come alive again, right? The first time you feel vitamin D on your skin, and you're like, I haven't felt this for five months. I forgot what this feels like. Or, or the first time you smell flowers in the spring. And for me, my favorite is the chirping of the birds in the morning. When you wake up and the birds are just chirping and echoing you into the day, and I'm like, if the birds are up from the south, anything can happen to me in this day, and I am going to be joyful, all right? But here's my hope for today, that we would actually experience the vitamin D of God's love in our soul, that, that we'd actually be reinvigorated by this text that we're familiar with. And, and like Iowans in the spring, we would come alive from the love that Jesus Christ has for us, all right? And so... We're, we're picking up where we left off in, in our 1 Corinthians study, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, so if you have your Bible, open up there. And, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, we're actually having this conversation on how spiritual gifts uh, actually unify our church, right? And, and the importance of these giftings to actually get the full flourishment of what the body of Christ is. And last week, Jeff discussed how spiritual gifts within the church— they give each individual a belonging, right? Every single person, every single person today, you sitting in the chair is indispensable to the house of God. You play a part in this body. And then the second thing he had was spiritual gifts actually give us the privilege of helping others. And that, that leads us right into what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 13 today, where he's talking about how love is the superior way. Love is, is the thing that we build our foundation upon. And so as we dive in, I want to define this word love that he uses. It's this Greek word agape. And agape is, is unique to the Christian faith. It's not like what the world sells us because it's not a feeling or an emotion, but it's an action, right? You, you don't simply feel patient. You practice patience, and agape love is not self-focused, self-seeking, or conditional, but agape love that he is speaking about is self-giving. It's self-sacrificing. It's unconditional. And, and maybe most clearly, if you're going to take away what this means, agape is not inward-focused, but it's outward-focused. Right? In God, he gives a concrete example of what agape is. John 3.16, for God so Right? For God so loved this active, self-sacrificing, self-giving love for us. 
For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The definition of agape love is that of Jesus Christ giving up his life for us. And so as we dive in today in 1 Corinthians 13, here's my hope. If you've came to this passage time and time again, you've been to American weddings before, you've heard 1 Corinthians 13, don't let the familiarity of this passage get in the way of the richness that Paul has. And another easy ditch that we can fall into is isolating 1 Corinthians 13 to this whole lovey-dovey passage where he's actually tying it with chapters 12 and 14 and talking how spiritual gifts are the way, or love is the way in which spiritual gifts are to function. So he, he's tethering these together. And so we start in verse 1. This is the necessity of love. And this is Paul writing a letter, remember, sending it UPS to the church of Corinth. They're receiving it. And then he's telling them how to love. Just kidding. He didn't have UPS in the first century. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Right away, he's saying the Corinthians, they prized and desired the gift of tongues so greatly, yet they abused it so greatly because they were acting spiritual without a concern for others. And he's saying, you are not like a peaceful harp. You're like a 5 a.m. alarm clock on daylight savings. And he keeps going in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, underline this, I am nothing. And here Paul, he lists the quiver of desirable gifts in the church of Corinth. Prophecy, knowledge, faith. And he says if you possess all of these To the fullest measure, your cup overflows with these spiritual gifts that you're craving, yet you do not act lovingly to one another. You are nothing. You are zero in the eyes of God. And he keeps going in verse 3. He says, And if I give give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So he's going to this extreme extent in which the Corinthians would go to boast about their spiritual gifts. He's saying, you would even give up all of your possessions. That's not 10% of your giving. He's saying 100% of your possessions. That's your house, your car, your kids. You're like, take them. Have 100% of my possessions. And then he goes to this really extreme part. He's saying, you would even boast about being martyred for your faith. But he warns them, he says, if their motive is religious duty, they actually gain nothing. Right? They're actually spiritual show-offs. So let's be clear right here. Giving with love brings great value to the church. Right? Like, giving with love brings great value. But he's saying giving without love brings nothing. And so the problem was this. The Corinthian church was mistaking their zealous nature for spiritual gifts as the mark of their spiritual health. Right? They're like, we have a wide variety of spiritual giftings where Paul is coming in and he's actually correcting them. He's saying, the mark of your spiritual health is actually the first fruit of the Spirit. 
which is love. And he's saying if you miss that, you miss it all. And so the Corinthians were doing their own thing for their own glory, their own good, and not having a concern for their brothers and sisters and building up the church. And this sounds opposite of what agape is, right? Because agape is an inward focus, but it's outward focused. And he's saying you've missed the point. But we have to be careful. The main point here is this. Spiritual gifts are not in contrast to love. Right? He didn't write chapter 12 and then just kicked it down the road and said, ah, don't worry about that, and wrote chapter 13. It's not in contrast to spiritual gifts, but he's saying love is the way in which spiritual gifts are to build up the church. Love is the foundation in which spiritual gifts are to actually flourish in the house of God. And so what does this look like today? All right, you're like, we've been in first century Corinth. Let's go to 21st century Veritas Church here in Tiffin, Iowa. If you desire to be the most heard, impressive, outspoken person in your connection group, your Bible study, your one-on-one meetup, but if you do not have love for those you're around, he's saying you are not like a peaceful harp. You're like a 5 a.m. alarm clock. And for me, where God convicted me this week was this. As I study and I preach my very first sermon at Veritas Church, if I preach with brilliance, with clarity, with power, but if my preparation was for the approval of others, the pat on the back of people saying, well done, good job, but I didn't do it for the love of you guys, and if I didn't do it for the glory of God, he's saying, you, Austin, are nothing standing on this stage. And if you host with splendorous food and drink, you have the best of the best appliances, you have the grandiose kitchen, yet you do not have love for those you are hosting, he's saying you actually gain nothing. And so we should ask the question because he, he's warning us, right? We're, we're like, get to the lovey-dovey part of 1 Corinthians 13. But he's warning the Corinthians on the front end that, that they're mistaking it. And so we should ask the question, how do I know if my spiritual gifts align with agape love that Paul is talking about? Right, that's the logical question we should be asking ourselves right now. And here's your indicator. Do you think more about yourself or others when you are serving, hosting, encouraging, teaching, sharing, and contributing? Right, are you thinking more about yourself when you're doing these things? Or are you more concerned with the others in which you are sharing them with? Because Paul would say this. If your motive of your giftings is yourself, it's neither spiritual or loving. And so he keeps going in verse 4, and we're going to be talking about the necessity of love. Why why do we need love? And if there's a Merriam-Webster's dictionary on agape, Paul is going to give us 15 characteristics of what agape is. He's going to give us a full comprehensive understanding of what this is. And he starts with two positive characteristics. Love is patient, love is kind. And then he has eight negative characteristics. And he's using this corrective tone, almost this parental tone of saying, you Corinthians, you've actually got it wrong and I have to tell you that love is not envious. You're boastful. Love is actually not boastful. And then he finishes with five positive characteristics again. And so we pick up in verse four. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant. 
is not rude, is not self-seeking, and it's not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. And so right on the front end when we're reading this, we have to actually recognize these are all characteristics held up and lived out by God perfectly. Because God is both the creator and the source of love. God is the standard of love as he is love, all right? So we could go through all 15 characteristics and see where God actually represents each of these characters. But I'm just going to give one because we don't have that much time. Here's an example. God does not keep a record of our wrongs. And we're like, hallelujah, I am thankful for that. But rather, he reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ. All right, so when we're reading about love, we're seeing this is the standard of which God loves us. This is the standard of who God's character is. But as we dive in, I want to explain a few of these terms, all right? I want to give us some definitions, some some ground for what he's actually saying. He says, love is kind, all right, to be kind means to be useful, serving, gracious. It not only feels generous, but agape kindness, it not only feels generous, it is generous. It not only desires the well-being of others, but agape actually works for the well-being of others. Love does not envy. All right, envy comes in two forms. The first form of envy says, I want what you have. The second form of envy says, I wish you didn't have what you have. And so it looks like this. I wish I had those awesome vacations. I wish they didn't have that amazing house. I wish I had that lifestyle. I wish they didn't have that perfect Instagram marriage. But we actually see this in the church too. And Paul's correcting these people because he's saying, this is what's happening. Envy is arising in the church and it looks like this. I wish I had the gift of encouragement. Right? I know God's gifted me with this, but I wish I had those giftings. Or it might look like, I wish they didn't have the gift of teaching. Right? And Paul's saying, there is no room for envy in God's church. He's saying we are actually to celebrate the distinctions and and the uniqueness that each of us bring to the table because that is what makes up the comprehensive body of Jesus Christ. We need feet, we need eyeballs, and together we got the body of Christ. Love is not irritable. I'm going to go there. You're like, man, hit on any of them but irritability. Here's the definition of to, not be, or to be irritable means to arouse anger. It's a convulsion or sudden outburst of emotion or action. In the converse of that, to not be irritable or to love means to not get angry when someone says or does something that displeases you or prevents you from having your own way. All right? Tomorrow morning, you're going to be driving to work and maybe you don't sleep well tonight because of daylight savings. You're all messed up with that. And you didn't have enough time to make your cup of coffee in the morning. 
And so you're driving to work, little sleep, little coffee, and all of a sudden, someone has the audacity to cut you off. Is your reaction, bless you. (laughs) You know, we were just talking on Sunday about not being irritable and that reflects Christ's love. Actually, bless you, have a great day. You're just giving me uh, an opportunity to live out not being irritable. Right, or what, what about the people you live with? Whether that's your spouse, whether that's your kids, whether that's your roommates. When they organize or lack thereof organize things in ways that do not meet your standards. For me, I'm weird. I'm really type A. And so I have all of my clothes color coordinated. And everything that's sitting on a table has to be parallel if there's anybody like me. And so when things get messed up or my clothes get disorganized, I'm like, whoa. But do we actually look at those things and say, oh, great, that's how you do it? Great, I'm really happy that's your living standards. It's, it's really meeting our... Some people just need to pick up their room, right? Like, that's just plain and simple. You college students have roommates, you're like, just pick up your room. There, there's a level where you're there. Or I was talking to a dad this week, and... We're talking about this passage, and and he reads a passage with his kids on the way to school each week. And he knew 1 Corinthians 13 was coming up. And so they were reading through it, and and he got to love is not irritable. And he asked his kids in the back of the minivan, what does it mean to be irritable? And one of the kids in the, the back of the van said, well, Dad, it's when you. And he's like, oh, yeah. And so we see this irritability a part of us. And it seems small sometimes, but Paul's saying, no, that actually isn't part of the body of Christ, right? And the, the lesson of the dad isn't that he's irritable. Maybe we actually should be reading the Bible with our kids, you know, that, that might be the takeaway. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. Here's what he's saying. Love finds no satisfaction in sin, whether that's your own or the sin of others. And he's saying, love does not substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, but rather, love boasts in the truth of Jesus Christ. Love actually holds the righteousness of God above any other thing. And and let's be real with ourselves, the world promotes and glorifies the unrighteous lifestyle, right? Social media, whether it's television shows, whether it's movies, whether it's People magazine, Whatever it may be, it actually promotes this lifestyle saying, if you have this life that doesn't quite live in the standard of God, you'll be happy. Or do we actually see through that and say, I would rather have the righteousness of my God than the life that the world is selling me. And now I want us to do a little self-examination, all right? We've been in kind of first, first century. We've done some explaining. Now we're going to do some self-examination. I'm going to have this chart come up here. And I'm going to reread through this. And Paul, as he gives this list, I'm actually going to read my name into the noun love. Don't do this through the whole Bible, but just this practice and this exercise. I'm going to read my name in this. And I want you in your own meditation to, to read your name into this. And you're going to mark the top three characteristics in which you're like, I think myself and others would see the love of Christ in this way. Right? You can look at certain people and say, yeah, I actually see Christ's kindness in you. Right? I actually see how, how Christ, Christ not keeping a record of wrongs is seen in you. There, there's just certain characteristics that God has given us that we live out. 
But probably the more convicting one is the bottom three. Right? And you're like, man, there's only three? I could use all 12 or 15. But I want you to write down your bottom three in which you or the kids in the back of your minivan or your spouse or your roommates, your friends, your coworkers would actually see hiccups or shortcomings in your pursuit of Christ and the love of Christ being exuded from you, all right? And so I'm going to reread this. And it's going to sound funny, so you can laugh at some of these because I would be a fool to say I live these all perfectly. Austin is patient. Austin is kind. Austin does not envy. He is not boastful. He is not arrogant. He is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He's not irritable. And he does not keep a record of wrongs. Austin finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, endures all things. Don't ask my wife about that, right? And so what I want this to do is I don't want this to leave you with a self-condemnation, right? I don't want you to write your bottom three and you're like, yeah, I know I'm not irritable, this last decade I've been working on it, but I haven't got anywhere, And I also don't want us to stop at this self-help, try harder, be better, love more message, right? That would be remiss of what Paul is actually saying here. But what I want this to do is I want it to draw us to a genuine repentance. And what I mean by that is this. When we actually recognize our shortcomings and our lack of love in in the standard of, of Jesus Christ, that we would actually come to him. And we would have a serious meditation. Maybe it's this afternoon. Maybe it's this evening. And we would come to Jesus and we'd say, Jesus, I actually see where my life doesn't live up to your standards. Man, I've actually been incredibly envious, and I know that's something you don't want me to live out, especially in the context of the local church when I have it with my brothers and my sisters. Yeah, Jesus, I I, want to be patient with my kids, but... And we actually rest in his patience, right? Later we're going to sing how, how Jesus, how God is patient, how God is kind. But after we come to this, this position of a genuine repentance, it's not like cross it off, do it, but we actually come before Jesus. I want you then to receive Jesus' ministry of forgiveness upon your life. Where he actually looks upon these things and he says, it's not your standard of love that earned your salvation, but it was my acting love on your behalf that you could ever be saved and enter into the presence of God, presented as righteous. And so that we would come to Jesus and we'd say, wash me clean. I see where I fall short. Cleanse me with your grace. And then another thing. This line is only pointing that direction. Right? The line's not going that direction. And here's my challenge, Veritas. If you're a Christ follower in this room, we are going to have no static or stuck-in-the-mud Christians. And what I mean by this is this. You may come with the excuse, well, I'm just not a patient person, and I'm not going to try to become more patient, or I'm not, you know, I'm just irritable. No, when we actually get a better vision of Jesus Christ's love on our behalf, we're going that direction. We are becoming more like Jesus Christ every single day, and perfectly, absolutely, But when we are captivated by the love of Christ, the only direction we're going is to become more like him. And then we are finishing up with the permanence of love, the permanence, the eternal nature of love. Why is love so important? In verse 8, he says, Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. 
As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Saying, for now, for, for, we know na- for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, when Jesus Christ returns for his church, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so Paul here, he tells us love is the more excellent way because spiritual gifts are temporary and partial to this present age. He's saying spiritual gifts are here today to build up the church and it's actually the Holy Spirit working in us. That's amazing. But he's saying spiritual gifts are going to fade in the future age when Jesus Christ comes, when the perfect comes. But he's saying love, love is actually the foundation of both this present age and the future age to come. So it, it holds an extra value and that is why love is the way in which spiritual gifts are to function. It's not the other way around because love is permanent. Love will always be here because love is who Jesus Christ is. And think about this. When we're in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity, we are not gonna need someone to preach sermons. Right? At least don't come to me to preach a sermon on love when I'm standing in the presence in the source of love, right? When we're in the presence of Jesus, you're not going to need me to communicate. I'm going to say, no, no, go to that guy. And so he's saying, we need to hold a very firm, very firm, very direct love of Jesus. And so the, the point of this is he's saying this, Corinthians Why are you boasting about your spiritual gifts? They're going to fade. The insurmountable love of Jesus Christ will not. And in verse 12, Paul says, For now we see only, and only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we are going to see Jesus face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. In our present vision of God, as great as it is, our knowledge of God is, is we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have the inerrant word of God. And as great as our present vision and knowledge of God is right now, he's saying it's partial and it's incomplete. When the perfect comes, though, we will have a fuller understanding of who God is. He's saying it's like the difference between seeing a photograph of someone and seeing someone in real life. When I was in college, my girlfriend went to study abroad in San Sebastian, Spain for four months. And this heartbroken college student only had a picture of her. And she's wearing a beautiful sundress. But all I had in Iowa City, Iowa, was this picture of Ellie. And she, was, she didn't cease to exist in her fullness, right? She was surfing, she was drinking coffee, she was speaking Spanish, she was doing her thing. She didn't cease to exist in reality, but what I understood of her was only partial. It was incomplete. But when she came back to Iowa City, I knew her fuller. I could see her directly. 
And, and I quickly bought a ring and I married her because of that. But this is what Paul's saying about our knowledge and our love of Jesus. Is it, it's, it's partial, it's fractured. We actually bring kind of our shattered sin into this. But when Jesus Christ comes, we will actually be in the final complete state of God's love. And this means all of the distortions of love, all of the abuse of love, all of the shattering of love that we've experienced in this life will give way. And all of the insecurities and all of the boasting and all of the righteousness that we could ever bring before Jesus will cease when he steps into our presence. And I think one of the most terrifying and amazing parts of this passage that we could easily, easily overlook is we will see God face to face. We will see God face to face. That is every single person. And this should terrify us when we enter the, the holiness of God and he sees us directly. There's no hiding. Right? He knows us fully. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He sees us, he hears us, he knows us. He knows our actions, he knows our emotions, he knows everything that we are. He sees us face to face and he will see you face to face. And if Jesus Christ hasn't covered your life, this is terrifying. And I don't want it to be a scare tactic of being like, man, follow Jesus, but I'm saying this. The love of Jesus Christ is the very thing that will get you into eternity for all of it, forever. And the most amazing thing for those who have been redeemed is our hope isn't today, but it's in the future with our Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll look upon us. In that list where we had top 10, bottom three, our top three actually are gonna look more like the bottom three when we stack it up next to Jesus' love. love. And our bottom three are actually gonna be further in this direction than we could ever imagine. But when we enter into the presence of the perfection of Jesus Christ, those will melt off of us. And Jesus Christ will clothe us in his righteousness. And we will only sing praise and glory to him as he feasts with his church. And that's the good news. That's the permanence of love. You guys pray with me. Jesus, we, we come before you with more bottom threes on that list of character or that character of love than we could ever imagine. And all of our shortcomings and hiccups and shattering of your love don't deserve your love for us. But Jesus, you, you lavished your love upon us. You, you didn't hold that against us, but you looked upon it and you said, that actually qualifies you for my blood to cover you. And so Jesus, the only thing we could boast about in this church isn't our giftings. It's not about our impressiveness. It's not about how much we give or what we do, but it is only the blood of Jesus Christ and the celebration of your resurrection, Jesus. And that's what we're gonna be singing about for all of eternity. We're not going to be singing about ourselves, but we're going to be outward focused, singing praise to you as you were outward focused in your mission for us, Jesus. And so we join in song and we sing to you, Jesus, that you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy of our praise for today in this present age. 
and also for all of eternity. And so we raise our voices and we sing hallelujah to you, Jesus. It's in your name, amen.